this is View of the Valley's podcast. This is Chris Smith and TJ Hoover. TJ, how are you doing today? Doing well today, enjoying the short week here and uh, honor Memorial Day that we had just this past week and excited to be back. How about you? How are you doing today, Chris? I'm not doing too bad. It's a nice day out. I know with the uh, with the restrictions that have been happening with the COVID-19, I know patios and especially in Illinois are starting to open up, so might find myself on one here uh, later this evening. Yeah, I think most people will. I'm sure most of our uh, small business owners, people doing uh, nails and haircuts and things like that, they're pretty excited to get back to business and happy for those people as well. Oh, absolutely. But during this week's episode, we get into the Conference USA, possibly going to an 18-game schedule. Why are we talking about Conference USA? Well, we interview Charles, the, the creator of the D1 docket, and he is a Charlotte 49ers fan, so we're going to tie the two together. And we're also going to discuss some multi-team events from each conference that teams from the Ohio Valley and Missouri Valley will be participating in, as well as doing our Mount Rushmore for Eastern Illinois and Evansville. First off, Conference USA has been in talks about going to an 18-game conference schedule with teams that are closest in proximity to play each other twice. Now, do you have any thoughts on that, TJ? I assume that a lot of that has to do with maybe the the COVID-19 that has happened recently and not wanting to stay in, you know, hotels too many times. I'm sure that's part of it, you know, trying to shorten your trips. And I think financially it has to be some of it, too, because like we've talked about before, you didn't have an NCAA representative, so you're not getting that cut of that check like you would have before. So I'm sure that's going into it. And we're seeing sports get cut all over the place, you know, in, in various universities that they're having to cut back in a cost-saving measure, and I think we're going to see more of that, and this is just one way that they're trying to save some of their costs as well. Yeah, because you've seen in other, uh, there's been other programs across the country that have been cutting certain programs, and maybe this is a way for Conference USA to say, hey, you know, we really don't want to cut, you know, schools' programs, or we don't want to see programs get cut for each university, so we're going to try and cut travel costs in a way to try and maybe save some of those programs that are hurting financially because of this you know, virus. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a, it's a new day. We're having to find some different ways to operate the way we used to and, and get rid, get rid of some of the ways that we used to operate as well. So, but there's a strong connection with uh, Conference USA and both leagues. I think there's regular crossover matchups. I know that uh, Western Kentucky is pretty prevalent in the Ohio Valley Conference schedules. I didn't know what else uh, you had on that side of it. Yeah, I know in the Ohio Valley, there's one team in common that a lot of teams seem to be facing this year as the schedules have been slowly getting released, and that's Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky plays against Austin P, Belmont, um, Tennessee Tech, and I think there's another school they also play, you know, during the season. But, uh, you know, Conference USA has a couple opponents on there that you usually see more times than not throughout the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley in those non-conference matchups and Middle Tennessee State's one of them as well. Yeah, and on the Missouri Valley side, we don't see quite as much in the regular season. When I say regular season, I mean outside of your multi-team events or your MTEs. Uh, Charlotte is going to be going to Valparaiso this year, so that'll be a great matchup. Southern Illinois is finishing up a home and home with Southern Miss. Southern they went to Southern Miss last year. Unfortunately, they weren't able to pull out the win down there. I think it's probably one of their uh, dark 
one of their worst losses that they had last year is losing wow. at Southern Miss, and they had to bounce back from that. So Southern Miss goes to SIU this year, and then Illinois State is going to host UAB in their non-conference schedule as well. There are several times where they cross over in uh, MTEs, but we won't dive into that too much and, and get into detailed about that right now. Yeah, I know uh, the OVC does have one of their uh, former coaches went from the Ohio Valley to Conference USA a few years back, and that was Moorhead State's former coach, Donnie Tyndall, who I think he got caught up in some of the NCAA um, violations. Um, I don't know if it happened the whole time at Southern Miss, but I think he got caught up while he was a coach at Southern Miss. He was actually the coach that led Kenneth Fareed and Moorhead State to the NCAA tournament those years when uh, well the Eagles were they were the face of the OVC during that time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people you know still know those names if you're familiar at all with college basketball. So while we're wrapping up the Conference USA discussion, let's go ahead and bring in Charles, the creator of the D1 docket, as he is a Charlotte 49ers fan. We are joined with our first ever guest here on View of the Valley podcast. Charles from the D1 docket has joined us. We've um, said quite a bit of his acclaim that, you know, we're really relying on him for all of our work. So, uh, Charles, first of all, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Uh, doing great. Uh, a little stir crazy, but holding it together. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of everybody here. Uh, here in Illinois, we're getting ready to open up very, very slowly at some of our uh, – uh, locations are starting to open up a little bit, so Illinoisans are hopeful. Um, yeah, we've had the great idea in, here in, uh, around Charlotte to start doing NASCAR races, but we've had thunderstorms for about two weeks straight. Yeah, and NASCAR has really hit it hard, too. I mean, they've really gotten after it here in the first couple of weeks that they've been trying to run, so trying yeah. to capitalize on that, that TV time that everyone's got to, in front of them. Does that mean you're a big NASCAR fan? Uh, used to be. Not so much anymore, but it's something to put on TV. Okay, because I know TJ's a big NASCAR guy. It, incorrect. I'm a big IndyCar guy. He okay. Chris doesn't know the difference, so I'm <laughs> having to educate him. So, um, well, I guess, first of all, how would you classify yourself as a college basketball fan? Do you love all of college basketball? Is it mid-major, Conference USA, or is it specifically uh, the Charlotte program? Well, Charlotte comes first. Uh, been a season ticket holder since I graduated. Um Went to every game I could in college once I started to. Um, but I can watch any game. Like, if I'm up alone at night during season, I've got ESPN Plus. I'll put on whatever game is closest score, and I can entertain myself with that. Uh, obviously, I, I got to I gotta know something about every team considering what I do with the docket. So it's really I can't ignore anything. Right. So what led you to your interest in college basketball schedules? Well, it all started. Well, it all starts with Charlotte. Um, most of my interest in college basketball does is they're in quite the uh, NCAA tournament drought, and NCAA tournament droughts begin and end with your resume in March. So, and that always begins and ends with your non-conference schedule. So naturally, right. uh, probably, definitely an obsessive behavior of mine. I would scour uh, <laughs> the internet all summer, and you know. Uh, try to find all the schools that release their schedules, hoping to find a Smith of Charlotte, try to find up all these beat writers, uh, whatever I could, just to find out, is Charlotte have a game with them? Does Charlotte have a game with them? And try to, to build the schedule myself. And unfortunately, being in a, a mid-major conference, our local beat writers always aren't always on the game. 
of <laughs> us. They're more interested in a few teams a couple hours down the road. Sure. Uh, that we don't need a name. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it's definitely built out of passion just for my own team, and then you know trying to organize that obsession. So I'm, I'm not just doing different Google searches every day. I organized the list of links, charted everything, um, and there. Hey, why am I holding on to this? I'm sure other people would like to see it as well. And that's uh, when the spreadsheet happened and I started sharing it on Reddit. And then a few years later, I decided to take it to a Twitter account. And here I am. So what kind of time is involved in something of that magnitude? I mean, I do a little bit just for the conference schedules in uh, the Missouri Valley Conference. I know it takes me quite a bit of time, but I can't imagine the hours that you put into this. It's it's a lot it's a lot of lunch breaks for sure. Luckily, I've got I got it pretty streamlined, uh, where I got a, a quick process where I can you know I'll, I'll screenshot the schedule on my phone, open it up, and try to get the games in as fast as possible. A few people uh, help me out every year along with it. People that I trust to to make edits for me and not just put any rumor they see in there. So it's. It's time-consuming for sure, but the the most time-consuming part is definitely what I've been doing lately with sending out the uh, public records requests. Because each state, you've you, got to be really specific, and each state has their different laws and how you have to ask for things. So getting those sent out and responding to those is the most time-consuming part these days. But so do you feel like you have kind of a uh, a good grasp of uh, FOIA law now that you've started doing this, uh, Freedom of Information Act stuff? I, I definitely have. I'm definitely up there amongst uh, <laughs> legal scholars, for sure. Sometimes you find yourselves in that uh, that rabbit hole. All of a sudden, you're reading about stuff like, how the heck did I get here? I can imagine that's what happened when you uh, found yourself researching those kind of laws. Well, luckily, there's a lot of websites out there to just have sample little letters for you to use in different states. Uh, but, I mean, there's some colleges that are uh, pretty possessive of the records and want to put you through the runaround, and sometimes it's just not worth the battle or the time. I can imagine. So what are your feelings about the Charlotte program having left, I guess, Conference USA to join the A-10 and then back to uh, Conference USA? Well, we were uh, the victim of football-driven alignment back in the 2000s. Uh, we are our athletic director uh, prior to Mike Hill was not the most uh, – astute at having vision towards the future. Um, we had the opportunity several times to start football in the 90s. The last effort, I think, was in 2001. Um, and the economic slowdown on then was kind of used as a scapegoat to, to shelve that for later. So when the time came for uh, everybody to get the call up at Conference USA, Charlotte didn't get a call because the Big East only took uh, the only public schools they were taking were football schools. Um, and CSA didn't want to keep anybody that was a, not a football member. So St. Louis and Charlotte uh, kind of got left without a home and both ended up at the A-10. It really wasn't a, a voluntary move in any way. Um, and then we finally got football rolling. It was a huge grassroots effort in Charlotte to do that. Um, we had kind of twist the arm of our administration into thinking it was a good idea. And, of course, um, when that time comes, 2012, we get the invite back to Conference USA. Um, and that's even before that's a year before you even played down at football. Um, it was a, a no-brainer just to have a stable home for football because you don't want to start a program as an independent sure. without knowing you're going for a long time. And so uh, it, it was. Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that the, how football driven that was. Cause obviously uh, we're here close to St. Louis and, you know, have seen them change conferences. So I apologize mm-hmm. for cutting you off though. Oh yeah. So, uh, so it was a step down of basketball for sure. Um, and I don't think we knew it was going to be gutted further with like losing Tulsa or Tulane at that point. Right. So it was, uh, and we thought we'd be in the comments of the rival regional rival, like East Carolina as well, but they uh, got the invite as well. And that's what, that's what ultimately uh, broke the big East away from the American, but it, it's been a hard pill to swallow that Charlotte's in a one big league. Now it's definitely uh, changed our expectations into every season compared to what it was in 2003, 2004, when, you know, you'd get home conference games against Cincinnati, Louisville, Memphis, and those were games that were going to determine your seat on in March. And unfortunately right. for myself, I wasn't there for any of that, but uh, I'm friends with a lot of people that were. All right. So moving on, uh, one thing that Chris and I have been working on here is we've started this podcast is we've created our Mount Rushmore of different schools. So we thought we'd ask you who you put on your Mount Rushmore of Charlotte basketball and for Niner Nation there. Yeah, and that's no problem. Uh, like I said, I'm, I kind of came in, I was class of 2005 in high school, so I missed the, the glory days of Charlotte basketball. So I'm going to uh, go into our actual Mount Rushmore, and then I'll talk about my Mount Rushmore of the players I've actually gotten to see play. Love it. Uh, and give you a little more context. And, uh, Good, love it. There you go. Reading less from the media guide and more from my own experience. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Mount Rushmore, you got to start with Cedric Cornbread Maxwell. He uh, led us to the Final Four in 77. He was the uh, 1976 uh, NIT MVP, I think. Uh, we ran up to Kentucky there, and then we lost to Al McGuire's Marquette team in 1977. Um, he was definitely the biggest, best pro career out of anyone from Charlotte. He was Celtics uh, mainstay through the 80s. He won the finals MVP in uh, 81, and he still does their radio. Last life checked in. Uh, but he was just a dominant force. Uh, kind of uh, took New York over in uh, 1976 with NIT back when all the games are MSG. Right. So he's, he's the first name people think of. And the next guy will be uh, Henry Williams. He is our all-time leading scorer. He went on to have a, a, a he's just a prolific guy. He could score from anywhere starting freshman year. He's some of his early games. There's a game at Duke from 1992 where he can, uh, you can see what he is already. And uh, unfortunately he passed away a few years ago. He had a battle, I think, I believe with cancer. And right now his, uh, son is on the team, Bryce Williams. So really excited to have the, that family stay with Niner Nation and looking forward to what Bryce does for us as well. It's always exciting to see second generation players, especially at a mid-major school where you kind of have that, that family yeah. look there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, third on the list, go with uh, Jarvis Lang. He came in uh, right as Henry Williams was leaving. He was uh, quite the acrobatic uh Player, he is known for dunks. Like uh, uh, the local, uh, one of the local establishments has a poster from your uh, season, I think. And you know, he's just holding the rim in his hand. It's, uh, you could just tell he was all about getting to the rim and making people afraid of guarding them, and afraid of ending up on a poster with them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to round out the Mount Rushmore, go with uh, the la- the fourth spot is the one I had the biggest trouble with because there's a bunch of guys that could fill that role. Um, but I'm going to go with DeMarco Johnson. He was uh, our big guy back in the uh, mid to late 90s. Uh, I think he wanted right. to play some in the pros as well. He was very big for us. Uh, we took uh, 
Chapel Hill into overtime in the 1998 NCAA tournament. Uh, that was the team he was on. Um, you know, as a you can find some of the final moments of that one on YouTube as well. We uh, hit a three in the last ten seconds to send that one to overtime. It's uh, fun to watch. Wow. Oh, uh, anyone at Charlotte did it. What's that? They probably didn't upset anyone on Charlotte's campus, did it? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, those, those would be our big four: Cornbread, uh, Henry, Jarvis, and Demarco. And then uh, I'll move on to my personal restaurant, which starts in 2005, uh, just because I picked a really bad time to, to go to, <laughs> to Charlotte. You know, you, you blame your parents. They had they had a kid too late. That's what it was, right? Well, the thing is, I I, I grew up in an NC State family, and I'm I'm a mechanical engineer, so I I spent all high school thinking I just just troll off to NC State, get my engineering degree, and then. I took a tour at Charlotte, and you know it's got, it doesn't have the same reputation as NC State in the state does. But just thinking like it's it's definitely in a, a more area that I want to be in in Charlotte. I don't like Raleigh. I have a ton of family in Raleigh, and like I need to get away. Charlotte is going to be my home. And of course, uh, the 2005 season ends with Charlotte losing to NC State in the tournament, and then they haven't been back in 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cruel twist of fate there. All right. I'm sure your NC State family uh, lets you know about that too, don't they? They're more of the football fans than basketball, okay. so they they have you know they they uh, they have more important things to worry about, like their rivalry with UNC Greensboro. Um. All right. So uh, I'll rush yeah. more for the yeah. So. Uh, so starting about 2005, it's probably the four players that have had the biggest impact on the program since I was there. Uh, first is Lee Meyer Goldwire. He was a freshman on that 05 team and uh, graduated in 08. He was uh, just a baller, would shoot from anywhere, take over games, definitely uh, a natural leader on the court. And his biggest moment for me personally was uh, the 2007 Hornets in this game against Davidson. Him and uh, this guy you may have heard of named Curry uh, just went at it. They each broke 30 points for that game. And wow. uh, I think Goldwire had 34 points. Curry ended up with 32, and Charlotte won that one by seven. That's uh, definitely uh, the best moment in our arena since uh, since the NCAA drought. It was definitely that game. Uh, next up would have been Chris Brazel. He was a, a great power forward we had, a uh, four-year player, immediately contributed as a freshman, monster on the boards, monster in the paint. was just a, a great high-post player. Um, he had the tendency to uh, to pull up the threes when he wanted to, though, and uh, he shot, I think, 12% from three. But we had a game against uh, Central Michigan once, 2012, and he was just uh, sitting out there by himself, and he just, like, fa- shot faked. And he was faking the crowd out more than anybody because he had a good smirk <laughs> on his face, and everybody's going, no! <laughs> and then he pulled the shot back down and passed it. Uh, so he's a fun guy to have. Um, next up would be uh, Perry A. Henry. He was a point guard from uh, 2011 to 2015. He's a, a recruit that we got, that we pulled away from VCU right before VCU went to the Final Four. Um, so he was... He had that Shaka Smart tenacity of defense. He, he was a gambler, got a lot of steals, and was, was also a great leader on the court. And he was just the player that 
would get under everybody else's nerves on the other team. He was he was the kind of guy that stand outside someone else's huddle if they were taking too long. <laughs> and he have a his great moment was he uh, he won the game at Davidson for us back in 2012, where uh, he hit a, a jumper about 20 seconds left to go, and you know that put us up by two. And then he gets the rebound on the other one, they miss, and there's a great shot of him just walking back after he gets fouled towards free throw line right in front of the bench. You can just see uh, one of their managers. He just stands up just like disgusted what's happening, and it's just <laughs> <laughs> that's just something I love to inject into my veins. Uh, and the fourth guy's going to be uh, John Davis. He uh, he is the best player we had when we were at our worst. He was electrifying to watch, point guard. He was uh, definitely could get to the rim. He made a habit out of uh, dunking on people, coast-to-coast dunks. He, uh, he came in in Mark Price's first recruiting class. Um, And immediately, uh, well, not immediately, we had a rough start that season. But you see, pretty quickly, we could tell that he was the one that was going to be the leader on this team. Sure. And as the rest of that class transferred out and the, the roster fell apart and um, under Mark Price, he definitely uh, found his looks at the basket because there's no one else that could really score for us. Uh-huh. So he, uh, he definitely piled up his fair share of points at Charlotte. Okay, so... You say you got season tickets to Charlotte. You've been to a lot of Charlotte games. So if you're on your way to a Niners basketball game, where are you stopping to eat, and what are you ordering? We always meet up at Picasso's. It's a sports bar near campus, and it, everybody there, you're getting the pepperoni rolls and a ranch dip for them. Wow, that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds tasty. If I ever go to Charlotte, I'm headed to Picasso's. Then I'm going to hold you to that. Oh yeah, and uh, it's changed over the years. Definitely used to be a lot more hopping for games, but it's uh, definitely uh, getting used to going back there again. Well, Charles, we appreciate your time and uh, coming on and joining us. Obviously, we know we can find you on Twitter at the D1 Docket. Where else can we find you uh, if we're looking for the latest in college basketball schedules? Well, that's that's the only way I'm out there right now. Um, I definitely give. Uh, uh, Chris Doberton from the bottom of the bracket of follow. He helps me out with the MTE stuff, the exempt event okay. stuff. Uh, we communicate a lot behind the scenes. And, uh, and of course, follow John Rothy's thing. He breaks a lot of games as well. So I use him as a resource and vice versa, I think, sometimes. Yeah, you and John are guys. I'm checking your Twitter every day to see you know, <laughs> who's getting those games so I can update. Uh, our oh, I've got... I've got my Twitter and notifications on for John Rothstein, so you guys don't have to search <laughs> his time feed sometimes. <laughs> I fall on that sword for everybody. Well, we appreciate it. And I really appreciate all your hard work. So thanks again. And uh, that's uh, Charles from the D1 Docket. Thanks for having me, guys. Can't wait yep. to hear uh, how your podcast keeps going forward and uh, hearing about the Valleys. All right. All right. We appreciate it, Charles. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I'd just like to uh, thank... Uh, Charles again for coming on and discussing you know the D1 docket and you know the Conference USA and why he's a Charlotte fan and all basically knowledge surrounding the University of Charlotte. You know I was very interested in hearing some of the stuff he said because I didn't know about their transition from you know why they left from each conference. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was very informative. You know, learned something. Also, the thing I learned before we got on the air with him, he and I were communicating throughout this week, is that it is uh, a faux pas to call it UNC Charlotte. They are very, he said, I would, you know, he 
see the rage of Niner Nation, if I referred to it that way. So just so you know, it's Charlotte. You know, I think of on the Missouri Valley Conference side, it's not Evansville University. It's the University of Evansville. And they and I understand that you're very much uh, about that. So that was really interesting to learn. And uh, again, thanks for him coming on. We appreciate the time that he shared with us. Absolutely. But with that, we're going to move into the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley Conference teams that will be participating in the multi-team events during the 2020 season. Uh, TJ, do you have a you want to go first with some Missouri Valley Conference here? Yeah, Bradley jumps into a big one at the Paradise Jam in the Virgin Islands. There are several teams here. The ones that stand out to me are Buffalo, who's been pretty good over the last few years, uh, top of their league. Arkansas Little Rock, who came into Missouri State last year and upset them, but then went on to have a pretty good year. St. Bonaventure, who's in the A-10. And uh, those are just some of the teams that highlight Long Beach State is probably the most uh, recognizable name there in terms of a big school. I've said last week, I'm still searching all over the place, but haven't seen anything in terms of Drake's record. And then uh, Evansville, Fresno State, Oakland, Pepperdine. So they're traveling out to the West Coast, play that out in Orange County and play on some uh, some teams that you haven't seen before. I shouldn't say all West Coast teams. I'm, I'm sure that's the Oakland uh, from the D- D- Detroit area. Sure. So who else do you have? So the first one I want to mention, and let me tell you, this is a loaded uh, college basketball tournament at the beginning of the season, and that's the 2020 Orlando Invitational. And the team out of the Ohio Valley Conference that will be a participant in that tournament is Belmont. And that tournament will take place from November 26th, 27th, and 29th. And some of the other teams that are involved in this tournament, Auburn, Boise State, Gonzaga, Michigan State, Xavier, St. Louis, and Siena. I mean, if you're an Ohio Valley Conference fan, you know, not just a fan of Belmont, but if you just love the conference, this is a great tournament to watch because, I mean, there are some phenomenal teams in this uh, conference tournament. I think if you're Belmont, if you finish in the top three of that tournament, you got to walk away pretty happy. Oh, I'd even yeah. say top four, you know, because you're looking at some teams from some big divisions and very successful programs. You know, we talk about the Gonzagas of the world. That's you know, that's a high class up there. Absolutely. Uh, another one that that the Ohio Valley Conference will be participating in. That's SIU Edwardsville. They're playing in a multi-team event in Youngstown, Ohio. So Youngstown State will be the host of this one. And other teams in that tournament will be Niagara and Eastern Michigan. So basically that whole tournament's a bunch of, you know, four mid-majors that, you know, they're all about, I don't want to say same level of playing field, but it's not like you have one team there that should just, you know, blow the other team out. So it should be kind of evenly matched. I think you're really looking at coming out with, you know, two, maybe three wins. I think it's what you have to think when you're going to someplace like that. Um, Indiana State is playing at Fort Myers, and they're going to be taking on Middle Tennessee State from Conference USA, Akron, Delaware, the Blue Hens, East Carolina, Fordham, University of Nebraska, Omaha, and Vermont. I think, again, that's a good place for them to get some traction and get going once this season starts for them. But overall, I just think this is a great chance for some of our programs to go up against the P5s that won't play them, sure, you know, won't won't bring them in for a bye game. They're definitely not coming to your place. But I, I will vary off of here. I did see this week, just in the last couple of days, that supposedly Bradley's going to travel to Mizzou. So that's another Missouri Valley game, and you know, good for Bradley. You know, they got to think. I think it's a winnable game. 
I, yeah. I, I really do. I hope that, that, that some things come for that. But, of course, I have Illinois and Missouri Valley Conference bias as well. <laughs> uh, another school, uh, Southeast Missouri State, they will be playing in a multi-team event down in San Antonio, Texas. And some other teams in that one are Incarnate Word, North Dakota, and Tarleton State. Yes, Tarleton State. Some of you are probably like, did you just make that team up on the spot? I did not. This is their first year in Division I basketball. They were D2 last year. They were 18-12, and 12, and they accepted the invite to the WAC, which is the same conference as uh, Gonzaga, I believe. I think Gonzaga's in the West Coast West Conference. Coast. This is the Western Athletic Conference, so I'll have to go back and look and see who in, is in that conference. But, yeah, I definitely don't think it's the same or conference. The, the WAC might be with uh, UMKC. Could be. UMKC is Denver in that as well. I'll look it up here as we're going along here. But uh, so. they accepted the invite in 2019. They'll be postseason eligible for the 2024 and 25 season. So they do have some time before they are eligible to participate in postseason play in the WAC. Uh, Tarleton State is located in Stephenville, Texas. Okay. Well, the WAC, they were... New Mexico State, they won that last year, going 16-0 in league play. UMKC's right. They're there. Denver's not. Probably the most recognizable to at least Missouri Valley fans is going to be Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon. Uh, Northern Iowa played there last year, and then Bryce Drew is now the new head coach at Grand Canyon University. Formerly, was the head, uh, Dan Marley was their head coach. Oh, I said Gonzaga. Uh, Just the West Coast stuff. Mm. It's Yeah, apparently I can't keep a track. Uh, another one, Eastern Illinois. They will be playing in the Sanford multi-team event. Other teams in that one, Sanford, who is the host of the tournament, Cal State Bakersfield, and Bellarmine. Bellarmine, yep. Brand new D1 team. Bellarmine University, located in Louisville. This will be their first year in Division One basketball. They accepted the invite to join the Atlantic Sun in 2019 and will be participating in the 2020 season. This is a team that went 20-8 and eight last year and did play two of the better-known schools in Division I basketball, and that was Louisville and Notre Dame. They lost to them both by 10 points during the 2019 season. Yeah, they were the Great Lakes Valley Conference in Division II, which, if you're familiar with it, I know Evansville people are. Southern Indiana's in that league, and they just played in the national title game, not in 2020 because I'm not sure that it went off, but in 2019 they were the runner-up in that program or in that division. Sure. And the last one that I wanted to mention is, I mean, it's not really a, a term of the multiple games played in the same day, but Jacksonville state is playing in the Gotham classic. Now this will be a game that will be on a campus site. So it will not be one of those games up in a neutral location, but other possible opponents for Jacksonville state in this is Mercer and green Bay. Yeah, on my side, Loyola is, uh, they're going to be playing Charlotte, who, uh, you know, Charles is obviously going to be cheering for them. Dayton, Mizzou, Nebraska, Penn, Pitt, which has struggled the last couple of years, and Utah State as well. Utah State is, uh, won their division last year. They actually beat San Diego State in the finals of the, mid, the Mountain West Conference. Now, they lost their stud. I forgot his name. I had it here a minute ago, but definitely a program that they're going to be playing with some confidence. And Absolutely. Missouri State is going to Jamaica. That tournament hasn't been filled out yet that I've found, but UMass and Wake Forest will both be there. You know, those are two games that you got to think. 
Wake Forest has got a new coach. UMass, I think those are two games. If you play those guys, you're definitely thinking you can win. Northern Iowa, I think this is a very winnable tournament for them. K-State, LaSalle, Miami, Ole Miss, Nevada, Oregon State, and Western Kentucky. They're going to the Cayman Islands to play that one. Southern Illinois, pretty small tournament they're going to at Puerto Rico. Air Force, Florida Atlantic, and Hofstra. And then Valparaiso. I think if you're Valparaiso going to this tournament in Nashville, you got to think you're going to win. Georgia State, who went to the NCAA tournament a few years ago, I believe that was the coach yes. that fell off the chair. Yep. And, uh, you know, so they've been there a couple times, Towson, and then Wright State out of Dayton. Uh, been to Wright State, great facilities. I mean, you walk in there, it's really impressive school that to think that they're at least second on the list there when you get into Dayton, not to mention you're worried about the Ohio states of the world, you know, <laughs> taking uh, news away from me in that state. So that's all I had. <clears throat> so I'm going to put you on the spot here for just a minute. Okay. Which multi-team event are you most looking forward to that a Missouri Valley Conference member is participating in? Oh, man. Well, I think initially you look at Southern Illinois being a, a graduate from there, but I think Northern Iowa has some unfinished business. I think if they go to the Cayman Islands, I'm not sure how they'll draw up that tournament. But you got to be thinking we want to play in the championship game of this because I know that Coach Jacobson probably has those guys ready to go. Like, hey, we should have been in the tournament. We stumbled there in the in the conference tournament, and we left it up to other people. Maybe we were going to be in, maybe we weren't. But this is where you got to make your, you know, build your resume. Like Charles talked about, you got to build your resume with these MTEs now. So I think that's what I'm looking forward to, and would like to see Northern Iowa come up because I think they had a real chance to do that with their MTE last year. Sure, where they ended up losing to West Virginia late. I think it was a game that they should have won, but then you know still looked good and then went to Grand Canyon and won a game there after they beat Colorado on the road too. Yeah. So what about you for the Ohio Valley? Which one? Where's Chris Smith spending his money to go watch? Like if you had to pay for a ticket, uh, even if you can fly a Legionnaire. If I had to pay for, well, for the multi-team event, it'd have to be the one Belmont's participating in. Well, one, it's in Florida. Two, you're going to get to see some more than quality basketball. I mean, it's top tier. The elite programs that'll be there and the amount of players that have that chance to, you know, be in the NBA after their college career. Oh, I mean, that'd be a great tournament to go watch, you know, with the Auburns, the Gonzagas, the uh, Michigan States, and some of the other schools out of the Big East and even right. SLU. Right, yeah. Definitely going to have some big name athletes at that event. So, But with that, we'll move into our Mount Rushmore segment. TJ will be doing his on Evansville, while I'll be doing mine on Eastern Illinois. And TJ, I'll let you go ahead and go first with your Missouri Valley, uh, Mount Rushmore. Well, I just want to say, first of all, how much fun I've had trying to research these teams, the things I've learned about these programs. I was even on the Drake Nation message board this week, and those guys even got into the debate a little bit about who they thought they were on there. Some of them, they uh, poo-pooed some of my ideas, which I'm completely fine with that. But I think the one big question that came up is like, are we looking at their college career? or their post-college career? And my answer is yes. I think we left it ambiguous on purpose. There's kind of that overall picture, guys that you identify with their program. Sure. And we're going to get into it today. we got a guy that's not up on the, a lot of their leaderboards today for Evansville and have some others down the road. Uh, I don't know what you thought about kind of when you went into it. I think we left it very open-ended on purpose so we could kind of draw our own conclusions. Yeah, we did. We left it open. Um, I mean, you know, we look at both the college career and, you know, 
if somebody had a great NBA career, I mean, some of that can't go unnoticed either because when you have some of these mid-major schools, it's not every year you have an NBA player getting or a player getting drafted into the NBA. So I, I think you have to look at both both aspects, but at the same time, you know, it's all opinion based. So everybody's going to have a different outlook. Yep, and that's what makes it great. You know, it's a, the old debate. You know, I know your generation. You guys kind of solve debates now with, well, I'll pull up my phone and see who, which one of <laughs> us is right. But still, when you figure out who's the best, who you're going to put up there, this is definitely a way to do it. And a, a good time that I've had here discussing these with Chris and, like I said, the guys on the Drake Nation uh, message board as well. Well, I started with Evansville this week. Evansville was a what we would now call Division Two powerhouse and that changed they were you know up until 1976 77 was their last season and they won several national titles in that uh what a lot of people maybe outside of the missouri valley conference don't realize about evansville's program 1977 78 is their first season in d1 december of that year their team plane goes down and every member of the team their entire coaching staff that was on the plane is perishes in that uh plane crash and then the one survivor was actually because he hadn't gone on the trip actually uh, is killed in a car crash sometime later so this is a, a huge kind of dark moment for Evansville and had to rebuild the program and by all accounts the city of Evansville was well behind them the enthusiasm to get the program back up and going so two of my guys are pre uh Division one. I know Chris stayed with Belmont going division one only, but if I did that, I'd have to leave off probably the most recognizable member of the Purple Aces, and that's Jerry Sloan, who we talked about last week, just passed away after battling some illness. He was a fourth overall pick for the Baltimore Bullets in 1965. He's the first Bull to ever have his number retire for the Chicago Bulls. Obviously, a Hall of Fame coach with the Utah Jazz finished fourth in rebounding. Well, he is still fourth in rebounding in school history, and he's one of only two Evansville players to have a thousand points and a thousand rebounds in his career. And he was there from '62 to '65, and that's why I just went overall program. Sure. I just figured you couldn't leave Jerry Sloan off and have any any type of legitimate claim that this being their Mount Rushmore. <laughs> still staying with the Division Two era is a guy by the name of Don Busse, and I hope I'm saying that name right, Don. But their last national title in 1971, he was an All-American for that program. He was a third-round pick in 1972 for the Phoenix Suns, but actually started his career with the Pacers, who I believe would have been in the ABA then. 13 seasons in the NBA and the ABA, an all-star in each league. 1977, this is the stat for you. 1977, he leads the NBA in both assists and steals wow. for the Indiana Pacers. His numbers retired. That's the other thing. I looked at this. I really start with retired numbers. There were 12 retired numbers for the Evansville Purple Aces. So <laughs> didn't make it too easy on me on narrowing it down, not to mention they had two coaches up there as well. From the Division One era, their only Larry Bird winner was Marcus Wilson, who won it in 1999. He's still fourth in scoring, seventh in steals, and he was put on that MVC top 50 team that I keep talking about. And I think the controversial one that I'll have now this week is Colt Ryan. Played from 2009 to 2013. Doesn't have his number retired yet. Not that uh, a consensus All-American that I've been able to find, but I think he was just the face of the program for those four years. He's still first in steals, seventh in assists, and he's their second all-time leading scorer. Probably the shortest time anyone's been an all-time leading scorer because DJ, DJ Ballantine came in right after him 
I think they actually played together uh, his senior year and DJ's freshman year uh, is now the leading scorer. But I just felt like he was such, like I said, face of the program yeah. for those three or four years that he was there. So that's where I finished it. And like I said, there were, again, were some tough decisions because there's just a great basketball history. I mean, we could get into, I've heard the reason that they're added the orange to their uniforms is because one of their coaches made all the players wear orange wristbands on their forearms and their wrists. So you could tell if your teammate was going for a rebound. And I still remember the days of watching them play early in the MVC play when they still had the sleeves on the, on the Jersey. I mean, that's, that's a pretty relatively recent thing in terms of basketball history, but just a great deal of history there in Evansville. Uh, So I don't know. uh, You want to take over with your Ohio Valley side? Yeah, so for Eastern Illinois, the the guy I got number one, Henry Domerkant, played at EIU from 2000 to 03. He's their career leader in points with over 2,600. Most points in a season at 817, and that took place during the 2001 and 2002 campaign. He averaged nearly 28 points per game. If we're going to be exact, it was 27.9 during the 0203 season and 26.4 points per game during the 01-02 season. Both seasons, he was second in the NCAA in points per game during those two years. Wow. He's got the most three-point field goals made in a season at EIU with 104 during the 01-02 year. And overall, he's first in three-pointers made with 285. Bring in the rebounding aspect, he's third in the school in rebounds with 798. OVC Player of the Year in 2002, three-time first-team All-OVC in 01 to 03, and he did play overseas from 2003 to 2015, and now he is currently a coach for the Windy City Bulls in the G League. Number two on the list, Jay Taylor. He played at Eastern Illinois from 1986 to 89, and now he's number two in points at EIU, and now this is just... How big of a difference in points that uh, Henry Domerkant had compared to Jay Taylor? Jay Taylor finished with 1,926, which was almost 670 points behind what uh, Domerkant did during his time there. He was a two-time All-American. He went undrafted but did spend time on the New Jersey Nets, played four seasons in the CBA, or known as the Continental Basketball Association, he was inducted into the EIU Hall of Fame in 1999, uh, but he did pass away in 1998. Uh, number three was Kevin Duckworth. Duckworth played at EIU from 1983 to 86, and I see TJ over here shaking his head. Yes, yeah, I remember Kevin Duckworth. That's that was he the Clippers? Is that who he played for? That was one of them. Yeah. Okay. He was a sixth in points scored with 1,569, the leader in rebounds with nearly 870, and first in block shots with 123. He was drafted in the 1986 NBA draft, which was the second round, and I believe it was the 33rd pick, and he had an NBA career from 86 to 97 with five different teams while also being a two-time NBA All-Star during the 1989 and 91 season. And the last guy on the list, Kyle Hill, played at Eastern Illinois from 1998 to 2001. He was third in points with 1,819. He was the, he had 
number two in the NCAA in points per game during the 2001 season. He averaged nearly 24 points during that year. Number fifth in assists on Eastern Illinois' career leaderboard with 310, and also on Eastern's career leaderboard in steals, he had 168, which put him in second place. So not only could he score points, he was also great on defense and could also get his teammates involved at the same Co- time. Coaches love it when you can make easy buckets. You get out there ahead of the pack and get some layups. I mean, we still hold our breath when you're going for a layup, but still we <laughs> like to get those. That You can't coach that kind of stuff. No, I mean, it, it's a great way to have a balanced team if you're a guy that can score and pass and play defense. Right. That's a win there. But he was drafted in the 2001 NBA draft by the Dallas Mavericks. Now, the one guy I did want to put on the list, this is more recent bias on my part because I got to see him play a lot over the last few seasons, uh, was Montel Goodwin. He played from 2016 to 2018, and that's why I did not put him on the Mount Rushmore because he only played two seasons at Eastern Illinois. However... Goodwin was a great player at Eastern Illinois and I believe scored nearly 900 points in two seasons. So if he would have played four seasons at Eastern, played his whole college career there, there's no telling where he would be on all the leaderboards during his time at uh, Eastern Illinois. But with that, that'll wrap up uh, episode four. You got any final thoughts here, TJ? Uh, Just one. Uh, Found out on the Drake Nation message board. Um, assistant coach Matt Woodley, his daughter has had some health issues, and I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Coach Woodley years ago and basically in a, a previous life, if you will, when he was at Truman State University. Great guy, seems to be a great family, but now they have a younger daughter that's also facing some similar health issues as well. So I just want to say our thoughts and prayers are with uh, Matt and Jennifer Woodley and hope everything that they uh, are hoping for to come through this with their daughters is is going to happen. So if you're of the praying type, uh, keep Matt and Jennifer in your prayers. Absolutely. Say a prayer for them. And uh, as we go forward on this podcast, um, we'll get into more, you know, transfers and schedules as, as they get released schedule wise, we'll break down some more transfers over the next um, episodes. But I want to mention that on the next episode, we will be interviewing uh, former SIU Edwardsville head basketball coach Lennox Forrester. We're going to have him on to discuss what it was like transitioning from Division II to independent to basically Division I basketball and becoming a member of the Ohio Valley Conference. And he can also give us some insight about the Missouri Valley Conference because he was an assistant at Evansville for several years. And then uh, I know he was there one year after uh, his time at SIU Edwardsville as well. So... That'll wrap up episode four here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we do interview Lennox Forrester and get into more Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley college basketball talk. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.